Welcome to the BJU Press Teacher Edition Podcast, where Christian educators are encouraged and inspired as we bring you interviews, practical ideas, strategies, and answer your questions about teaching in today's culture. And here's your host, Jenny Copeland. Dyslexia is a term we hear thrown around, especially in the world of education. Unfortunately, it can be overused, it can be misunderstood, even overlooked. And I'm really excited for the opportunity to explore this topic today. So thanks for joining us. We appreciate our listeners. Obviously, without you, we wouldn't have a show. If you have friends who aren't listening, please do share this podcast with them as well. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are Teacher Edition Podcast on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Teacher Edition Pod. We are getting some great questions from our audience. So lastly, I want to invite you to go to our website. That's teachereditionpodcast.com. There you can subscribe to our emails and you can also submit your questions and your stories. It's quick and easy. And in submitting a question, you're likely not the only one who is wondering about that. So please go for it. We look forward to receiving those and to sharing those here on the show. And as a reminder, As we do have questions and stories to share, we will share those at the end of the episode, so be sure to listen all the way to the end of the interviews each time. So today, we are privileged to have Terry Ann Hawks with us. She brings so much expertise to the table for our topic today. She holds bachelor's degrees in English and communication disorders and a master's of education in English. While working on her bachelor's degree in communication disorders, she studied dyslexia and she discovered the Orton-Gillingham approach. It's a structured literacy approach to remediating reading and spelling and writing. Many of you as listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with it. And she began her training in 2009 and is now a certified member of the Orton-Gillingham Academy. She's currently working to achieve fellow level as well, and that's very impressive. That is a lot of hard work. <laughs> I, I am not at all certified in that, but I have some idea of what it takes to get there, so that is impressive. If you aren't familiar with that approach, please do check it out, by the way. I know I'm on a little rabbit trail, but check that out because it is just a great program. I appreciate that she is a learner, so she isn't content to just take what she has. She's always looking to grow and learn more, and I think we can see that in the training she's working on. And, you know, that's what we need as we work with children. They deserve our best. And her passion is not only to reach dyslexic students, but also to train teachers of dyslexic students. And that's huge. We need more of that. For the past 13 years, she's worked at an independent school for students with dyslexia. Although she's passionate about teaching students and training teachers as well, her focus is the four men in her life. And I love how she shares it that way. She has her husband and her three little boys that the Lord has blessed them with in the last four years. So take note of that on top of all that she's working on professionally. As a family, they love spending time hiking and camping. They love reading books and listening to music and, of course, spending time with family So we are really looking forward to tapping into her expertise on the show today. So Terri Ann, it is a privilege to have you here today. Jenny, it is great to be here with you today. So as we jump into our discussion on dyslexia, let's start by laying some groundwork. I would imagine most of our listeners have heard of dyslexia, but so that we're all on the same page, could you give us a broad overview of dyslexia? Maybe you could tell us what is dyslexia and even how common is it? Yeah, that's definitely a great place to start. Um, 
I, I like to view dyslexia through the lens of a multiplication problem. So don't don't wig out on math being thrown into this, but <laughs> um, there's there's actually a multiplication problem that has been developed for, back in the 80s. It's called the simple view of reading. Um, and the goal of reading or the answer to that multiplication problem is comprehension. And the two factors that make up that a multiplication problem are decoding and then language comprehension. And so if decoding is one and language comprehension is one, then the goal of comprehension is one and, and your goal has been met, it's been achieved. However, dyslexia is the difficulty with the decoding side of that multiplication problem. And so in this, in this multiplication problem, it would be represented as a zero. And so anything times zero would be zero. <laughs> so therefore, your, your comprehension goal could be impeded. And so um, the dyslexia, the International Dyslexia Association established a definition back in 2002 that states that dyslexia is characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition. That would be the decoding part of that multiplication problem. And that difficulty results from a deficit in the phonological component of language, meaning the sounds of our language. So really in short, dyslexia is a weakness in translating the printed language and turning it into spoken language and then back again. And then from a, from a, like, how often could I see it in my classroom or how often does it really just affect the education? Well, it is a specific learning disability and it is the most common of the specific learning disabilities. So um, there's an estimation that it affects anywhere between 15 to 20% of the population. Um, so if you think of that, uh, I don't teach math. I do use math when I need to. But um, if you think of if you just teach us in a small classroom setting of 10 kids, you're going to most likely have anywhere between one to three kids, maybe, who are going to have dyslexia or who are just going to be you're going to identify them as struggling readers. So from a prevalent standpoint, it's actually um, something that we all need to consider because it's out there more than we actually think it is. Yeah, perfect. Okay, that really helps. So now taking that into a classroom setting, what would you say are some common signs of dyslexia? And then maybe to piggyback on that, what should prompt a teacher or a parent to explore a diagnosis, take it to the next level? So I'm actually going to start at the preschool age, which could be a shock to um, many people. Um, that could be one of those myths or one of those misunderstandings that dyslexia doesn't show up until elementary school. But um, if you remember that the deficit of dyslexia is in that phonological component of language, the sounds of our language, well, the preschoolers are the ones who are really working to strengthen the sounds of our language, right? And so when there's this weakness in that foundation, it's going to impede the ability to decode and to learn to read later on. And so some of the signs that um, I tell parents to look out for, or tell teachers classroom teachers to look out for um, is if the kid was late to talk or delayed in their speech. Um, and then another big one is their rhyming skills. How easy was it for them to pick up on these nursery rhymes that they've been read to over and over and over again since they were infants? 
how easy was it for them to um, learn the lyrics of a song that rhyme? Um, if those things are difficult and they continue to be difficult through throughout preschool, those are definitely one of those early signs in the preschool age. And so then if you move forward in there and your schooling and you hit the early, like early elementary years, kindergarten, first, second, um, I would ask things like, how easily did they learn letter names and letter sounds? Was that difficult? Was it, did it take a long time? Um, are they still maybe trying to learn the letter names and letter sounds? Because um, if we're talking about decoding, we're actually talking about cracking a code, right? And so this really is one of those um, pivotal pieces of learning that they have to have because they have to have this key in order to crack the code. So um, that's one of the, I think I ask every single parent that question <laughs> when I'm, if I'm going to tutor their kid or if I have a, a coworker who's asking me about, what should I ask a parent? It's standard question is how easily did they learn their letter names and their letter sounds? Um, another question that I'll ask or and tell uh, teachers to ask is, um, does a child avoid reading? And this isn't to say that every kid who avoids reading is dyslexic. <laughs> some people just don't like to read, but um, it, it really is, they just, they don't want to. And when they do, um, they frustrate really easily because it's just that hard. Um, and this is definitely, as you get more into that middle elementary years, second to third grade, it's definitely a question I ask. Um, and then when they do read questions, you can ask um, parents or things you can be on the lookout for, for, for teachers is when they're reading, do they skip words? Do they confuse uh, similar words like for and of? Do they, um, do they misrepresent words? Like they say the word city instead of town. Do they have difficulty just quickly recognizing words? Some of these basic words that they, they would have known from just recognizing common objects, like the word cat and dog, right? So some of those things are, um, seem in one sense seem kind of basic to me, but at the same time, it's, it's what you're looking, what you're, what you're listening for. Um, and then just what the, what the journey of reading has been like for the kid up to the point they are in school. So starting with those preschool years up through those early years, what are the, what are the things they should have by that point um, that they don't have? So the rhyming skills, um, the letter names, letter sounds, those are some of the main, main things I ask for and things they should be looking for. Okay, so I don't think that we can do an episode on dyslexia without taking some time to talk about the myths and the misconceptions of dyslexia. And I can't tell you how many times I have heard from parents or teachers who come dashing in in response to a concern that's been raised and they say, well, our, you know, my child writes his B's and his D's backwards or he write, you know, she writes her numbers backwards. So I guess looks like we're dealing with some dyslexia here. So talk to us about some of those myths. <laughs> right. So if you would, if you noticed, I didn't actually list writing backwards or reversing B's and D's as one of those signs that I look for. I did notice. <laughs> a dyslexic child. Um, because it's, it's not actually, it really is a myth. And it's not actually a thing that only dyslexics do. Um, 
most kids, as they're learning to write and learning to read, they will go through a stage of reversing their B's and D's and their P's and Q's. Um, that's just something that's part of the, the journey of learning to read and write. And so that is, I would say, probably the number one myth that I hear. Um, I should say maybe a misconception. It's just a complete misunderstanding of that's all it is. Um, and, and it's definitely a lot more than that. Another thing that, um, another misunderstanding I hear often is that, well, dyslexia will go away or they'll grow out of it or they, and, and that's actually not true. Um, there will always be uh, an element of dyslexia that is going to impact their life. Um, it is, uh, and we'll, we'll get to this later on too, I'm sure, but it is possible for a dyslexic kid to learn to read. That is, uh, that is the hope that they have. But um, if you think that if the parent or the teacher is thinking, hey, this is something that they're just going to, you know, I just have to teach them better or they have to learn better, like that's, that's um, inaccurate thinking. It's not, it's not going to just go away. So um, digging in, diving in, doing what the child needs to do is definitely what needs to happen. But don't think it's you're doing that so that the dyslexia goes away because it won't. So that's so helpful. So I feel like we've worked through the basic definition, the symptoms, some of the myths and misunderstandings. Let's talk about how we can help. So it is hard for parents and teachers to see a student of any age struggling. And I know we've spent time talking about the younger ones, but we know that there are students of all ages who deal with dyslexia. Our inclination is to jump in and help. But for most educators, they're really going to be at a loss of what to do. And honestly, what might be our first inclination may not be the most helpful. So can you help give us some practical insights on ways that we can help or are there ways that we can help? Yeah, and I like to use an infographic for for this. It's called Scarborough's Reading Rope. Um, and if you think of how a rope is made, there's multiple strands or multiple threads that get woven together to build um, a thick, strong rope, right? And the um, one side of this, of the rope, has all the strands woven together, and that is your skill of reading. And so if you were to unravel that rope into the different strands, what goes into each of these strands? And that's where um, you can break it down to not necessarily just the parent's role or just the teacher's role, but you can actually see how it works together to, to build the skill of reading because we all can't do it all on our own. <laughs> it's just not, it's not possible. Um, and the, the two, the, the different strands can be actually categorized similar to the, um, the simple view of reading. So you have your your, your category of your decoding strands, and you have your category of your language comprehension strands. And so the teachers are really working to build the child's awareness of sounds in the language and building the decoding skills, right? And building their ability to recognize words quickly and accurately. That's really where the teachers come in. Um, parents might ask, well, is there anything like that I can do at home? And, and I like to tell parents, you have your own job that we can't we can't do right so you can sure you can talk about words and the makeup of words and help help your child analyze the words especially as they're maybe practicing their spelling words but there's there's other strands that the teachers can't pull on as hard as parents can 
And those are the things that really come about through um, reading aloud to your kid and discussing books with your kid, because through that, you're building the strands of vocabulary, you're building the strands of background knowledge, how the structure of our language works. I mean, just parents don't think they're grammar teachers, but they're actually <laughs> grammar teachers by reading books out loud to their to their to their children. Um, discussing books with them builds their uh, student's ability to just reason with the language. Um, at one point in my journey um, of dyslexia, I was actually just a literature teacher. And I, I love to tell parents, look, literature is life written down. And we can't, as teachers, read every single book to a child. Parents can't either. But if we're doing that together, just think of how much more exposure um, the, the children can get. And so that's kind of the big ideas, right? And that's really my um, my admonition for parents is just to keep reading and discussing with your kids. For the for the teachers, I'm going to drive in a little bit more with um, remembering a couple of things for for any child and for really any human. Success breeds success, right? And so if you're teaching the kid and they just keep hitting wall after wall after wall, the kid's not going to move forward. And, and so scale it back, bring it back down to where it's at a level they're going to experience success and that'll take them to the next step. So one step at a time, um, one successful step at a time is going to get them where they need to be. Um, another thing that goes along with that is remembering the compassion that these kids need. Um, I was even listening to podcast last week just about the fear and the shame and the embarrassment that comes from um, having dyslexia, maybe not even being diagnosed with dyslexia, but just struggling to read um, and, and remembering that, helping these kids um, remember and cling to the truth that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, that really does drive a lot of what I do because they do sit across the table from me and, and they are um, at times embarrassed and ashamed of what they can't do. And so there are, I think, times you have to just stop and walk through that and build, build the trust with the kid so that way they can um, learn to put aside that fear and that shame when they're with the teacher. And then just from a actual practical standpoint, the two main things I would tell tell teachers is that you most likely are using a very systematic phonics curriculum, right? If you can make that instruction as direct and explicit as possible, um, that helps the, the, the learning take place. Um, and then once the kid, once you teach that to the kid, the kid begins to learn it as the kid begins to do the talking. So the one doing the talking is the one doing the learning. Um, and so you do have to do the instruction. You do have to make it clear, direct and explicit. But once they start doing the talking, you know, they are doing the learning and then they just need to practice it. So that's my second piece. Just practice, practice, practice. Um, the statistics that are out there say that a typical reader um, learns concepts and things like that within one to four exposures. A dyslexic kid. I mean, there's no there's no limit on it because you just every dyslexic kid's different, but it, it's going to be upwards to 
lots and lots and lots. I'll just say it that way. So they need the practice with even um, some of the basic concepts that everyone thinks, well, this is just a basic, this is just basic short vowel sounds. Yes, they need a lot, a lot of practice with that. So those would be um, my, my main admonitions for the, for the classroom teachers and for the parents. Yeah, that's very practical. And I love that you brought in the biblical perspective there. You know, this did not take God by surprise. He did not make a mistake. This is exactly who God made them to be. And God will also give them the grace to deal with that and the wisdom of those that he has put in there, you know, around them to support them. So, you know, God is not absent from this type of situation. I'm so glad you brought that in as well. So tied to what you were just talking about, what are the outcomes for a student with dyslexia? So we talked about ways we can help. And you mentioned a little bit earlier, kind of gave us a sneak peek on where they might be headed, what the answer might be to this question. I know when I hear something is wrong, my first and I guess my very human response is, can it be fixed? Right? That's just uh, who we are as humans. We want things fixed. So for dyslexia, is this something that can get better? Can it go away? Or will this be with them as a lifetime struggle? So there are um, varying degrees on this continuum of dyslexia, um, but with intervention, struggling readers can become remediated readers. And so um, the, the, another piece, another admonition I would love to tell the teachers, just um, do what you need to do to help these kids, whether that's listen to some more podcasts, go and talk to your, go and talk to your administration um, about how you can help these struggling readers become remediated readers. Um, some of these struggling readers becoming remediated readers doesn't look like by worldly success um, becoming like an Albert Einstein, right? Success could even look like being able to, to stand up in church and read the lyrics to the songs on the screen or reading the Bible verse as part of the congregational scriptural reading, right? Um, so some, some other outcomes, though, might be that a kid is now headed to law school or med school or goodness, they're headed to, to college to become a teacher to teach kids how to read, right? Like that, that does happen. Um, so the teachers just keep on, press on, um, do what you can do to find out what you can do to help, help these students. Um, if they stay struggling readers, the outcomes don't look great, but um, they can become remediated readers with some of that direct, explicit, instruction and things like that that we were talking about. Well, I feel like this is a topic we could spend multiple episodes on probably years and years as, as you are doing. I feel like we have so much to learn from you, but I feel like you have really given us a strong foundation into a basic understanding, at least, of what dyslexia is and a, a starting point of how we can best support those students in our classes. And I personally appreciate you I appreciate all those who make it their mission to help these students be successful. I mean, all teachers are very important, and I just have a special appreciation for those who really have a heart and a passion to help those who are struggling. So I just want to say thank you for that, and thank you for what you've added to today's conversation for sure. We do have a listener question to share as well before we sign off, so I hope that you can stick around for that. I would love your input. So let's listen in. My name is Garrett, and I'm from Dublin, North Carolina. Um, my question is, if I have a student with 
what I fear is dyslexia and his parents just will not accept it. They say he doesn't write backward. He doesn't read backward. Um, how do I explain my concerns and how do I explain dyslexia in lay terms? Thank you. Okay. So Terry, and that kind of overlaps a little bit with what we talked about. I'd love for you to jump in. Teaming with parents is so, so important. And when you try to reach out and express your concern and they they don't understand, I'm quite confident you have gone through that. (laughs) Can you give any expertise on that? Yeah. Yeah. And so this leads to um, the kind of a piece that uh, I didn't have time to cover about the evaluation piece because it sounds like what this teacher is hoping is that there there comes a point in time in the near future that the child will be evaluated for what he believes to be dyslexia. So how can a teacher help a parent or a family get there? Right. Um, so if you go through some of those things that we discussed about um, how easily did they learn the alphabet? What does their reading sound like? So go gather your anecdotal pieces of, of information to share with the parent and then just ask the parent, this is what I'm seeing at school. This is how um, I'm seeing the reading progress or not progress at school. What about you? How, how do you see that at home? Um, and, and hopefully that kicks the parents' thoughts into, oh, how does hmm, how does this sound for my child at home? And so then that become starts the conversation that then could lead to, well. I actually can't diagnose dyslexia as a teacher that comes from someone who's had training. And so getting them started down down that route would be the next step. But it's starting that conversation. And one of those questions of what do you see at home um, is a great way to to get that conversation going. Another thing for, for teachers to remember and to think about as they do broach this subject with parents is that dyslexia is hereditary. And so some of the de- these defenses could be coming up because of the parent, one of them or both of them, having the same struggle at the same age. And so um, that's just something to be mindful of when you do start these conversations, um, is that it is, it is hereditary. And so the, the feelings could be um, that not willing to accept it could be stemming from that, not just a fear of, oh, something's wrong with my kid. Um, but being able to get a child evaluated would help. I see it as a, a pair of glasses, right? You can understand the child's needs um, and their strengths and their challenges clearer once you have that evaluation done. And so um, that would be a, and maybe another analogy they could use to help kick parents into this direct direction of I think this might be what it's, what's going on because of all of this that I see. Um, and, and this is where you need to go next to, to get this to get this done. Yeah, those are great insights. I really like the thought of asking the parents, what are you seeing at home? And not all of them are going to have a good measuring stick. You know, we, we know that's how it goes also with articulation and other things where it's like, oh, we're good, we're fine. And we're not fine. But in so many cases, that is going to cause them to step back and think, yeah, that is true. We, we've been struggling with this a little bit. And just making that connection, again, reinforces that teamwork. And it's just so important to communicate. And we know it's not just telling, but it's helping them to understand and offering them, like you mentioned, encouragement that, 
you know, it's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that we're having this issue and get some help, get some direction. And we know ultimately it's up to the parent to make the decisions for the child. God has given them that responsibility, but we can share our information and then help direct them to where they can get that support. Did you have any other thoughts on that you wanted to add? No, other than just the the helping parents know what's going on in the classroom by sharing sharing those pieces of what you see that does that might help um, trigger their memory because you're right. Like parents, oh yeah, every <laughs> it's great at home. Well, <laughs> well, let's give you some examples that you could maybe then look for. And it really it is a journey. That would be, I think, my closing thought of. Just like learning to read is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, And thanks to the complexities of our language, it doesn't happen quickly either. Um, And and the same is true for walking a parent of a dyslexic child through, through this journey as well. Well, once again, thank you for what you do. Thank you for being willing to take time to share with us today. And really what you have shared is just so practical on all levels. So thank you for your time. It was my pleasure to be here, Jenny. And thank you for joining us today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged as I was. Remember to go to teachtraditionpodcast.com to submit questions for upcoming episodes. Of course, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and also follow us on social media. Now, it's time to get back to your day, but it's not just any day, because every day in the classroom is your day to impact and inspire through God's power and His grace working in you. So go do what God has called you to do.